0: Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit us online at redemption.ca. Um, if you guys want to have a seat as a chillins head out... Uh, We are going to be studying three chapters today, so a little bit longer uh, text than we're used to, Uh, so we're going to have to be cruising through it. Uh, We're going to be taking communion at the end of our time, and so I want you to uh, see this time. uh, The Bible tells us to examine our hearts uh, before we would partake of the Lord's Supper, and the text you're going to see actually is going to be very fitting For that as we're going to go through it today. So uh, we're going to be in Genesis 42. Uh, Before uh, I get into the text, uh, what do you guys think about tests? Anybody like tests? Anybody? Okay, I see that two hands, three hands. Okay, great. Um, uh, Normally, people are not like real fond of tests, but tests are necessary, right? Uh, when you were in school, some of you remember those days. I mean, some of you, maybe it's becoming a faint memory. Um, but when we had tests, the tests were for what? To, to see what you knew, right? They, you had learned a certain amount of material, and now the test is to say, like, do you know it? And in a spiritual sense, this is what's going on in the life of the believer when the, when the Lord allows tests in our lives. What do you know? What do you believe about the Lord in the times of testing? What do you do in times of testing? Another way to think about testing is, you know, you, you te- when you go to sit on a chair, you test it out, right? If it looks a little rickety, you, you're going to test it out before you put your full weight on it. And so it is when it comes to life, there's these tests where God is using them to help us to see that, is your faith real? Do you do you really know who God is? What are you putting your trust in? Uh, James says what seems to us as craziness, he says count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That is not our default position. But if we understand what God is doing, in the testing, in the trial, then joy is possible. For James continues, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We all want the end of that, that's, that verse, right? We all want that perfect and complete lacking in nothing, but we don't want the testing. But if we understand what the Bible says over and over and over again, this is the way that God leads us and guides us and matures us in our faith. It is through testing and trials. And what we're going to see this morning is that God, through Joseph, is testing his brothers He's trying to see, it's been over two decades now since he's last seen them. He's trying to see where are they at? Where are their hearts at? He's going to take them through circumstances that are going to draw their hearts out. And, and it's not just, you know, it's the same thing with Joseph as with God. He's not just doing this for kicks. Well, let me see what they do now when I put them through this test. He's doing it for their good, and, and so it is with God. He is testing us for our good. For our good and His glory. So I'm not sure what tests you're going through currently, but I want us to be reminded that whatever God is doing, He's doing it for our good and for His glory. And maybe some of you here this morning are like, I'm "This I've, I'm pretty new to this church thing. I haven't been a whole lot, and I, I didn't know churches were in gyms." Okay, um, but but I would pray that as we look at the Scripture this morning, that God would be testing your heart just as he did for the brothers, and that by the end of it, you would, you would come out on the same, uh, same, come to the same conclusion as these brothers. But before we get into the text, let me just pray for us, and then we're going to get into it. God, we are fully dependent upon you this morning. We, we do not say that lightly. We, we fully believe that, God. God, if we are to understand your truth, we need your Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to help us. I'm so thankful for every believer that is the case. You have given us your spirit. And Lord, we we thank you for the gift of your word as well. And how it is just so woven together in just such beauty. And as we look at these three chapters today, we see the gospel on full display. Long before Christ came. And so God, we remember that you are the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. So we look to you, God. Would you have your way in our lives through this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you don't have a Bible, you will need a Bible. So go ahead and slip up your hand. Uh, We're going to be looking at... Three chapters, as I mentioned. Uh, So the the word is definitely going to have its way today. If we're not going to be here till supper time, okay? We're gonna we're gonna. Pastor's only going to say a few words here and there, and we're gonna let the weight of the word have its work. That is the way it ought to be. And so, um, again, as we go through this, be thinking, reflecting on where am I at right now. And as we think about the the testing that's going on here, we're going to see three tests. God will test you, first of all, to reveal your conviction. To reveal your conviction. Have I grappled with my guilt? Have I grappled with my guilt? Um, Again, the last time that Joseph has seen his brothers, they had sold him into slavery. They haven't seen each other now for over 20 years, but they're about to see one another. Verse 1, we read this. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. Now, Just a reminder, if you weren't here last week, there's a famine going on. There have been seven years of plenty, and God has revealed that to Pharaoh. Joseph had been uh, given wisdom as to the dream and what it was all about, and he had been put in charge, and so there's all this grain now in Egypt, in Egypt alone, and, and there's a famine throughout the world. Best we can figure, this is year one, maybe early year two, so it's been over 20 years since he's seen his brothers. And you get to the point where it's like, now it's interesting wording. Guys, what are you doing? Why, why are you just standing around? Go to Egypt. And I, and I wonder if there's a little bit in the back of the brothers' minds, what if we see Joseph? They, they had sold him into slavery. They don't know if he's alive or not, but there's a little bit, like the last time we, we had anything to do with Egypt, we were selling our brother to go as a slave there. So they're kind of waiting around. He's like, what are you doing? Go. So 10 brothers go, one brother doesn't. Verse four, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. We see this favoritism thing still going on, right? If if you've been with us, just a reminder, Jacob really, really loved Rachel. The other three wives, not so much. And as such, Joseph was favored early on, and now we see the favoritism is continuing with Benjamin. So you you 10 guys, go get the food, but Benjamin's not going. He's fearing that something might happen to him, as happened 20 years earlier to his son, Joseph. Thus, the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Right? So, it's not just their family from Canaan. The picture is everybody's flowing from Canaan to Egypt. Now, Joseph was go- governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. Last chapter, we, we would be reminded that yeah, the people are like, Where are we going to get food? And Pharaoh's like, Go talk to Joseph. Right? So, he's in charge of this. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. And Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them, where did you come from? He said, they said from the land of Canaan to buy food. Now I want us to just be thinking about the fact that Joseph knows his brothers are coming. If they're alive, he knows they're coming. He's already seen people coming from Canaan, so I don't think this is like a spur of the moment like, "Oh, what am I going to do?" I think he's been thinking about this plan, and as we go through this, I think the Lord is very much behind this plan. God is using Joseph to draw out his brothers' hearts. And so he's going to he's going to treat them like they're spies. Right? Now, there's getting to soak in this for a week. I I I didn't I didn't notice a lot of this stuff before. But he is basically recreating everything from 20 plus years earlier with his brothers. When, when, they, when they seen their brother Joseph, what did they think, right? They're like, oh, here's that, here's that kid that's dad's favorite. Why is he coming? Well, to see if we're doing anything wrong, right? He's a spy coming. So now he's referring to them as spies, You've come to see the nakedness of the land. You've come to to see the the vulnerabilities that we have. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies. You've come to see the nakedness of the land. Right Over 20 years earlier, the dreams, what were the dreams? They're all going to bow down to him. What have they just done? They just bowed down to him. Ross says this, his rough treatment of them was designed to awaken their memory and prick their consciences. It was he, Joseph, whom they had to consider a spy for their father, and it was he whom they had treated roughly, even throwing him into a cistern, which is similar to what he's gonna do in just a moment. Where are their hearts at? This is what he's hoping to see. They said to him, No, No, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man, we are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. Well, they're, they're being honest about never being spies. But they're not honest men. Right? They, they can't say that is their general demeanor of life. They have been living a lie for over 20 years, telling their dad that, that Joseph had been killed by an animal. So they're not, they're not being honest. Now, let's be honest. When someone calls you out on your sin, is your Quick reaction to say, Yeah, you're right. Or is it to defend? Sadly, we like to defend. Oh, but you don't understand. This is why my sin is okay, right? So, so they're, they're, they're not there yet. They're not ready to admit their guilt. He said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. You're spies. Again, you're looking for vulnerability in our defenses. And he's doing all this, why? Because he's he's gathering information. He's gathering intel, actually, about them and their family. And they said, "We, Your servants are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. They obviously are not going to tell him the story about why there is one no more. That's not going to help your credibility when you're dealing with this powerful ruler, right? So they're kind of telling him the story. Now he knows that his brother is alive back home with his dad, who's also alive. But Joseph said to them, It is I, it is as I said to you, you are spies. What did they do? They threw him in a pit while they sat around and tried to decide what they were going to do to him. So they sit for three days in a pit, prison. We've seen those two words paralleled throughout this account. And, and now they're sitting there for three days. His original plan is like, I'm going to send one of you. The rest are going to stay in prison. But then he's seeing again, is, is, is this time to sit? Are their consciences going to be pricked on the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this, and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined when you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain from the famine of your households, and bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Joseph leads with telling that, he, what, he, that he, what he's doing is based on the fact that he fears God. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. His brothers likely spent little time thinking about that statement, right? Now they're looking around at each other, who's the one who's going to go? Now, Joseph he knows he knows how many people are back home, right? He knows one guy can't carry enough food to feed everybody. And so he has this plan now because of his compassion, because of his love for his father and the people back there. He's like, okay, one of you is going to stay back and then the rest will go. But he warns them that if you don't do what, you, what, I, what I'm asking you to do, you will die. There will be a death sentence if you don't do what, you're, what I'm asking you to do. So, then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. And that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. All of these events are being used to take them right back to 20 years earlier. The last time they left a brother behind and went back to dad. And, And now... You know what it's like if there's unconfessed sin in your life, you can't get rid of it. It's still in your mind. And they go right back to that day, and as they describe it, it's like they're there, right? We remember the distress in his voice as he cried out to us. But they what? They didn't care. Their hearts were hearted to him. They didn't didn't give a rip. They were so angry at him. They hated him so much. They wanted to kill him. They thought they were being benevolent and just selling him as a slave. But their actions now are finally having consequences. Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. And this is everybody's favorite person. The I told you so guy, right? Reuben is, is, is this picture of a, of a leader that's not a great leader. He is the firstborn. He is supposed to be leading the family. Now, to his credit, he did say, hey, let's not do this. He wanted to free Joseph. But, but he, he, he is he's, he's like the I told you so. That's not helping anybody at this situation. But what he says is that there's a reckoning now for his blood. They understand that the justice of God, just as when Cain killed Abel, there was, a, there was a reckoning for his blood, so now there's a reckoning for what they have done. They're, they're, they're equating it with having killed him, that now God is bringing justice against us. They are guilty, and they're, they know they're guilty. They know that God will not allow sin to go unpunished. There's consequences for unconfessed sin. It eats at you. It's destructive. And David as he reflected on the time when he had killed had Uriah killed and had committed adultery with Bathsheba, but didn't tell anybody and had kept it a secret. He said this in Psalm 32 about his life when he kept it secret. Psalm 32, verse 3, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer." It is God's grace and mercy that he does this in your life. He does not allow you to be okay with your sin, and so he places his heavy hand upon you and makes you continue to be miserable until you finally admit your guilt. That's true for an unbeliever, and that's true for a believer. At some point, you came to an end of yourself as an unbeliever and said, I'm guilty. I've sinned against a holy God. I, there's no way of getting around it. And you felt his hand heavy upon you, and you knew that you deserved judgment. That's God's grace. That's God's grace in your life. If you don't have that, then you continue to ignore your sin, you continue to make light of your sin, and you wind up paying for your sin for all of eternity. You know, this this idea in our society, like that guilt is a bad thing, is is satanic. Guilt is a good thing. God uses guilt in our lives to change us. Without guilt, there is no hope. If you're guilty, then you must confess it. Verse 23. They did not know that Joseph understood them, though there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them, and he took Simeon from them and bound them before their eyes. All right, they're having this conversation right in front of him in their language, thinking, surely this guy doesn't know our language. He's been using an interpreter, right? Right? It's this whole thing. He's keeping the fact that he's Joseph from them at this time still. He's testing them and trying them to see what's going on in their hearts. And so he's encouraged, right? He sees his brothers now are feeling the weight of their sin against him. But I think there's probably part of it too. He remembers crying out in distress, That was a painful, painful moment for him. And so he turns away, he gets himself composed, and then he chooses Simeon. Why? We don't know. You know, I mean, you can can all kinds of speculation. You're like, well, I mean, he, he has a reputation for being a violent guy. Was that why? Is it because he's the second born of Leah, and now he's asking for the second born of Rachel to come there? We don't know. But he chooses him. Joseph says, you're the guy. So, verse 25 And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. This was done for them. Then they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. And he said to his brothers, my money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this, their hearts failed them, and they turned trembling to one another, saying, what is this that God has done to us? Conviction, conviction, conviction. From what? From God. Every time something's happening, they're turning, God's doing this. God has found out our guilt. We've been able to fool everybody else, but we've not been able to fool God. This trembling, the, the 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 word here for trembling, is the same word that Jacob when he deceived his father Isaac, Isaac trembled when he realized what had happened. So they're 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 deeply moved by what is happening. Again, this is reminding them of their past. What what, what happened the last time they came back to dad without a brother? They had extra silver with them, right? From selling Joseph. All of these things are being used to remind them of what they have done. When they came to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, We are honest men, we have never been spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me and take grain for the famine of your households and go your way. Bring your youngest brother to me, then I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men, and I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land. Now they Fail to note that there's a death sentence hanging over them if they don't do this. Right? Probably not real encouraging for Dad to hear that. right? so so they don't they don't tell him that part of it. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack, and when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. Once again, they have come home without a brother and with more silver than when they had left. And Jacob their father said to them, you, are bere- you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin? All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons, if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you were to make, you, should, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. Now, I think it should be pretty apparent, but Reuben is the last guy you would entrust your child to. Kill my kids. I don't care. Right? I mean, that's not the guy you're going to trust your kids. Now, we, again, as you, as you look back on the history, there's already been tension between Reuben. And his father, and and so this is only continuing in that. He's not a great leader. He sacrifices others. We're going to see Judah sacrificing himself as we continue to, to read on. Joseph's plan is working. The brothers are coming to grips with their guilt. Hugh says this, true guilt is a grace because it brings the guilty to seek forgiveness and to repent. Our coming to grips with our guilt is beginning of God's grace being poured out on us. Without our our understanding of our guilt, there is no need for repentance and there is no need for forgiveness. And so this morning, I, I pray that every one of you could say, I am a sinner. I am a sinner who deserves God's judgment. That is the reality for every single person here. And we all tried to slip out from under that in one way or the other. Well, I'm basically a good person. I believe that my good outweighs my bad. I, I, I don't really know if I you know, believe that there is a God, even though your conscience tells you that there is, as it says in Romans. But there, I want to just say to every one of you here this morning there is freedom in first beginning to say, I am a sinner. Secondly, God will test you to reveal your comprehension. Have I grasped God's grace? Have I grasped God's grace? Sometime passes, but once again, the family is in need of food, right? There's, the, the, Judah now begins to come to the forefront as a leader amongst the brothers. It's, they've eaten up the food that was sent. Right? This is what we get to in chapter 43. And now we see Judah on the forefront. Now the famine was severe in the land. Just a reminder, the famine's still going on. And when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go again, buy us a little food. A little food. He's like, can you just go get a little bit? Is there a way to get this done? But Judah said to him, the man solemnly warned us, saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, why do you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? And they replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? I mean, Jacob's just, why is this happening? He's delaying the inevitable. Why did you guys do this? He doesn't want to send Benjamin. And Judah said to Israel's father, send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both you, sorry, we and you, and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety, from my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would have now returned twice. As I already mentioned, he's not offering up his children. He's offering up himself. He's taking personal responsibility for the safety of Benjamin. And he's reminding Jacob what's at stake. Right? We can all stay here with Benjamin, but we will all die. So I get it. It's hard but you need to send him, and I will be responsible. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks, Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise. Go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he, may he send, you, send back your, bro, your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. See the Lord at work in the heart of Jacob here. I mean, for over 20 years, it just seems like he's just been clinging to Benjamin. I have to protect him. When when hard things happen to us, this is what we often do. We try to then mitigate circumstances that nothing bad will ever happen to us again. And Jacob finally is getting to the point where he's like, okay, I, 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 I see. But note, he's not putting his trust in Jacob, or sorry, in Judah. He's putting his trust in who? God Almighty. God Almighty. And he's crying out to God Almighty that he might have mercy on his sons. That's a great prayer. That's a great prayer. We, we ought to pray that prayer for one another continually. God have mercy on God, have mercy on our unsaved relatives and friends and co-workers and neighbors. God, would you be merciful? Would you be gracious to them? You are God Almighty. You alone are able to do that. And so, God, we cry out to you on their behalf. Now, he doesn't understand why these sons need mercy fully, but they definitely need mercy. As do all of us need God's mercy And so he shows some wisdom. Let's put all the money back that was in there. Let's double that up so that you can buy some more food. And then let's just give some gifts from our land. Obviously, these would have been precious, precious commodities in a land of famine, right? High, high, high cost. But let's do this that we might win the favor of this man who is so powerful. Again, they have no idea who this is. And so he's entrusting himself to God Almighty and his sons. So the men took this present and they took, the double, took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the men or to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it is because of the money which was replaced in the sacks the first time that we are, that we are brought in. So that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. The brothers believed that they will receive now what they had done to the brother Joseph. They now will become slaves, just as they had sold their brother into slavery. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks, and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us, and have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. Like, listen, we're, we're just trying to make amends here before we become slaves. Okay, that's what they're thinking. Can we, can we just make a deal? Like, we're not sure how it happened, but this is what happened. We didn't take it. We didn't, we didn't you know, like, would you have mercy on us? And the steward replied, peace to you. Do not be afraid, your God And the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Ross says this, this delicately worded answer was true in a number of ways. But its effect was to bring God to their minds once again. How could God be doing these good things when they felt so guilty? God is so gracious. To us, It's really important that we understand God's grace. If we put ourselves in God's place, then you continually feel the weight of condemnation. Because you know you do not deserve God's grace. And Satan will try to use that in your life. You've messed up one too many times. Sure, God could forgive you before, but that was before you said you would never do that again so he, he you 're under condemnation, and that 's what we would feel over and over again if it wasn 't not for God helping us to understand and i I would pray even now, may God help us all to understand his favor towards us, his grace towards you. Yes, you are a sinner who's walked in rebellion against him, but if you would turn to him, he would forgive you. This is the picture that is being set up here. So Joseph apparently is not angry, and now Simeon is brought to them. Verse 24, and when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present sorry, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they should eat bread there. Right? So they're getting you know, the myrrh and the, you know, all the things. They had brought the pistachios, right? Let's get this ready. We're going to present it to him. Hopefully he won't be angry with us anymore, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of what we, we do, right? Let's bring our pittance, our little things. Like, are you okay now, God? We did our devos every day this last week. Are we okay now? I mean, that's not what God is looking for. You don't understand God's grace if you're continually trying to do that with the Lord. So, it's time to eat. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present they had with them and bowed to him to the ground. Again, remember the dream. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. Joseph longs to know how dad is, right? And they think, oh, it's because he's, he's making sure our story is still right, okay? So they have no idea. But this is comforting to Joseph. And he lifted up his eyes. And he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God, be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out. For his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. It's interesting, this this word for compassion, it's the same word used back in verse 14 for mercy. And so he's showing mercy to them privately. He's showing mercy to them publicly and saying to Benjamin, may God's grace be upon you. Grace is the theme of this chapter. So Joseph's overwhelmed, seeing his brother. He has to go get himself under control. Then he washed his face and came out. And controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. They served him by himself and them by themselves. And the Egyptians who ate with with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him. The firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. They're looking at one another in amazement. They're kind of like, how do they know our ages? Like, this is, how, is it, how do they know this stuff? Right? So, again, this Joseph guy is a powerful guy. Oh, this, they don't know his Joseph, but right? This guy is a powerful guy. Who is this guy? And, and so they're amazed. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. I I love this. This is so cool. Okay? Why is he doing this? Why is he giving Benjamin five times the amount? What's going on in your hearts, guys? Do you still get all twisted out of shape when you see someone getting more than you? Do you, are you in a place now where you could see somebody else having something more than you and you'd be okay with that? That's what he's doing. That's why he's giving Benjamin five times. Again, he's trying to draw out their hearts here. And what I love to see is that they all, they sat down and, and they had a great time together. They were not twisted out of shape here. They, they passed the test. They had this great feast together. how do you do with envy? How do you do with jealousy? So so easy to look at what someone else has and think, why don't I have what they have? Ross says this, in the household of faith, it is essential that people not only accept the fact that God gives different gifts to different people, but that they rejoice in those gifts. Envy and malice have no place in the family of God. If you see someone else in the body of Christ who's super gifted in some way, you ought to praise the Lord and say, God, I'm so thankful for that. Like, I get it. It's not them. It's you. You've given it to them. Lord, Lord, thank you for the way that you've blessed their business and, 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 and the amount of wealth that they have. Praise you, God, for that. Instead of this, like, well, look at me and what I got. I didn't get what they got. Like, that's, that's, that's not to be in the body of Christ ever. God help us. We, again, are fully dependent upon him to live a life like this, but we need to live a life like this. Is your father good or not? He is good, and he gives good gifts. So you keep your eyes on the father and thank him and be thankful for all that he's given you. And when that's the focus, you're not so busy looking around at what everybody else has. You just have your eyes on him, and you're like, thank you, Lord. You have given me far more than I deserve. That's understanding grace. We sing that song. Uh, How good is He? And the last line is like, if He never gave me anything, else. I can't remember his words. <laughs> if He never gave me anything else, something like, he if He never did another thing for me. There, go. there we go. That's why I'm not up here leading worship. (laughs) If he never did another thing for me, he is all I ever need. Like that, that's it. We get him. We get him. Like that's, that's understanding grace. Because we don't deserve him. What we deserve is to be eternally separated from him because of our sins. That we have all sinned. And so we must understand our guilt before him, but we also need to understand grace, and that it's because of his grace that we are able then to be reconciled to him. Have you get grasped God's grace this morning towards you? Lastly, God will test you to reveal your concession. Have I given up to gain? Have I given up to gain? Then he, Joseph, commanded the steward of his house, fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was light, right? I mean, they they had a party. That's... If you're wondering, how did this happen? How were they able to get all this stuff done? Because these guys are sleeping off the party, right? They got full bellies. They had a, maybe one or two bevies. And, and they're, they're, that's how this has happened. And so now they get up the next day, right? They, they started the feast at what? Noon, right? So they've slept now. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. They had gone only a short distance from the city. Now Joseph said to a steward up, follow after the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, why have you repaid evil for good? Is it not from this that my Lord drinks, and by this that he practices divination? You have done evil in doing this. And when he overtook them, he spoke to them these words. This practicing of divination, it's kind of like in our day, like reading the tea leaves kind of idea, Right? That that somehow through, you know, either it was oil with water, water with oil, or putting something else in the cup, you would be able to get divine guidance. Now, that was big in Egypt. I think likely, very likely, Joseph never had anything to do with any of this, but he's still playing the character, right? They still think he's this ruler of Egypt. That's how, I mean, that's how well he knows the language. That's how much he looks like an Egyptian. But he loves the Lord, but they don't know that yet. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money that we found is in the mouth of the, our sacks. We, we brought it back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Whichever your servants is found with it shall die And we also will be my Lord's servants. And he said, let it be as you say. He who is found with it shall be my servant, and the rest of you shall be innocent. (laughs) I love how he's like, yeah, not really. But there is still going to be some guilt. Like they're like, guy who's got it, he's done. He's dead. And the rest of us will be slaves. Well, the the steward can't go along with it because he knows exactly what's happening. Right? Right? This is the last test. He's put the cup in Benjamin's bag. Why? So that they'll see what's going to happen with these guys' hearts. What will they do now when Benjamin is the one and he's going to be taken back as a slave? What will they do? The servant says, the steward says, listen, only that guy will be a slave. The rest, you'll be able to go. Then each man quickly lowered his sack to the ground and each man opened his sack and he searched, beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes and every man loaded his donkey and they returned to the city. The brothers of 22 years earlier would have at best went over and hugged Benjamin and said, sorry, bro, this a tough bad day. I don't know why you did it, but what are we going to do? And they would have headed home with all their money still in their bags. And they would have went to dad and said, listen, this is what happened. You know, we, we, we tried, dad, you know, but I don't know, Benjamin, we've we always kind of suspected that he had, you know, some bad qualities. And he stole this cup And the guy had been so good to us, and so that's where he lives now. He's a slave in Egypt. Like, that's what those guys would have done 22 years earlier. But instead, what? They're tearing their clothes. Just as Jacob had tore his clothes when he heard that his son was gone. The brothers had tore the robe of the brother Joseph to kind of make up the lie, but they weren't grieving 22 years earlier. But now they're grieving and they're headed back now to Joseph. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. And they fell before him to the ground. And Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? He's just saying, look, do you think you could fool me? I'm a powerful man. I'm a man of divination. (laughs) They have no idea, okay? They have... So he, he's 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 saying I would I I was sure to find you out, but Judah now speaks, but he does not try and plead innocence. It's very interesting. Verse sixteen, and Judah said, "What shall we say to my lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants." Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also, in whose hand the cup has been found. Although they're innocent regarding the cup, Judah knows that they are guilty men before God. They'd stolen away Jacob's other son. And now when Jacob had entrusted Benjamin to them, the Lord had brought about this judgment on them for what they had done. So now they're all offering themselves up as servants. Joseph said, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. One last test. It's okay. Yeah, I'm not blaming you guys. This, this Benjamin guy, he's the one that's at fault. You go ahead Live out your lives. How tempting would that have been for them? They can choose to be selfish, think only of themselves, and harden their hearts towards their father and their brother one more time. They could have done that. In the moment, we're going to take communion for sake of time. The ushers are going to start handing out communion, but before they do, I want us to be just reminded who should take the cup as it goes past them. It is only those who have understood their own guilt. It is only those who have received the grace of God in their lives and who have died to themselves and are now living for Christ. Communion, the Lord's Supper, is not for unbelievers. It's not for unrepentant people. You can call yourself a believer, but if you're not repentant, then you should not be taking of the Lord's Supper. It is only for the repentant, it is only for those who are following the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you're in that latter category of not repentant, not a believer, then you just let the cup pass before you as they hand it out. I want us to continue to look now at what Judah says. Then Judah went up to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears and let not your anger burn against your servant. For you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead and he alone is left of his mother's children and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I might set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. And when we went back to your your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again, buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. What change we see in Judah. He was responsible for selling his brother Joseph into slavery. He was the one. It was his idea 22 years earlier. But now he 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 out of his love for his dad, out of his love for his brother, he's, his focus is not on himself. It's just going to come at great cost to himself, but he says, "Let me be the slave. Let me be the servant." I lay down my life instead. This is what happens when the Lord is the Lord of your life. Your your life is totally different than it once was. When you come to, to grasp your guilt and God's grace, then he changes you and you're willing to lay down your own life for the sake of others. Jacob is giving up his family, his freedom, his life. So that he would be a slave instead of his brother. Jesus said that there is no greater love than this. That one would be willing to lay down his life for his friends. And this is exactly what the Lord Jesus did for you and I. He took our place. He came and lived the perfect life. Never once sinning. He then laid down his life for sinners like you and me. He was falsely accused and then he hung on a cross And he became our substitute. He said to the Father, take their sins and place them on me and I will suffer their wrath that is due their sins. All those who acknowledge their guilt, who understand God's grace, he has taken their sins upon himself. He's taken their place. Just as Judah was trying to take the place for Benjamin. I pray that everyone here this morning, I said, Lord, I am a sinner, but I believe, Jesus, you died for me. You took my place. The wrath that I know that I am due you placed on Jesus. And you said whoever would believe in you would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so God, I now die to myself in what I want, and I want to live for you for the rest of my days. It's God's mercy that he would bring us through tests, that we would come to a conclusion that would grant us eternal life. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Lord God, we're so thankful for this time together this morning to see the way that you draw out our hearts. Lord, this picture of Joseph and his brothers is a picture of every single believer. Lord, how you and your grace and your mercy, you showed us our guilt. You showed us your grace And Lord, you saved us. You changed us. And God, I pray that everyone here this morning could say that. God, if there be anyone here today who is still unrepentant of their sin, if they still do not understand your grace, God, would you be merciful? Would you show them grace? God Almighty, would you show them mercy today? Open their eyes to see the truth and save them from the wrath to come, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit us online at redemption.ca.